I thought, well, I'm not selling any multi-million dollar homes anytime soon, so what if I put on my own TV show and I'll create it or like a an inform, you know, something informative where I can provide value to people and, and viewers, but I don't want it to just be, this is how many homes are on the market. Let's talk about design and lifestyle and new restaurants, kitchen of the future, the bathroom of the future. Like, let's make it fun. Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcasts, the titans of real estate. The show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. Our next guest is a former USC graduate with a degree in finance and accounting, which led him to become a CPA at a prestigious firm, all while yearning for a career in the real estate industry. Today, he's one of the top broker agents at Douglas Elliman in Beverly Hills, a frequent speaker and panelist for Inman, and a top real estate influencer in Los Angeles. Please welcome to the show, Ivan Estrada. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Let's start with life before college, career, and real estate. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So I grew up in Eagle Rock, which is in the Pasadena area. For those of you that don't know, the big Los Angeles basin, it's, it's towards the north part of town. And my dream originally was in music. So I was always a singer, played the piano, played the violin, but mostly the piano. I was a songwriter as well. And As a kid, I started doing the TV shows at 12 years old, the TV talent shows for Univision and a lot of the Latin networks. And I actually got a record deal, got an album done, 13 songs. I wrote six of those songs and we started touring. We started touring. I started with the mall tours and the school tours and then the opening for certain celebrities like Alicia Keys and Little Bow Wow. And that's where I originally got my start in, you know, I started working as a, as a 12-year-old singer, musician. So for the listening audience, where can we find that record, Ivan? Oh, God. I think it might be on MySpace. If MySpace still exists, we gotta it's probably on there. Get a hold of Justin Timberlake <laughs> yeah. and resurrect it. That's hilarious. Well, interesting. I'm a musician as well. I have uh, play guitar and I've been playing for, for a very long time and sort of rock and roll Nice. You know, dream when I was uh, graduating college and, and high school and stuff, which didn't quite get realized, but I, I'm a huge fan of music. So that's really interesting. And what do you have any siblings or? I do have a sibling. So I have a sister. I live in Century City. She lives in Culver City and we're three years apart. She decided to go in the marketing world, which at the beginning of my career, which has been almost 10 years now, it'll be 10 years in March. She was the one who started giving me a helping hand. Let's build you a website. Let's get you on social media. Let's, you know, let's see what we can do, especially at the beginning when you're starting a business that's low cost. And that way we can maximize as much as possible we can get for free and then slowly kind of start putting some marketing dollars into it. And we're we're super close. Very cool. And so... Was she also in music when you, was it like a family thing? Or Not at all. Like- she was my, um, she was definitely my number one groupie. She was the one who would, anytime I performed, 
um, you know, she would go with me to the recording studio, to the dance studio in North Hollywood, and she always had an opinion about something. And she's, I mean, her and I are, there's only two of us. And, you know, throughout my career, and I would say music and accounting and, you know, USC, and especially now, it's, you know, she's been such an amazing influence for me because she's very strong. She's, I would say she's probably a past, her past life, she must have been in New York because she's very to the point. Very in your face, which is something that I had to learn along the way, not to be in your face, but to be a little more assertive and go for what you want. And, you know, I love the girl. She's amazing. So how did the music thing end? Like when, like, obviously you had high high hopes. You were, you had a pretty amazing chance in a young yeah. age to to do something on a big platform. So when did that, like, when did you go, oh, this is not going to work or? Uh, unfortunately, the management that I had, which was a pretty well-known management, I actually... Where we're having the interview now is William Morris. Oh, it used to be William Morris. And I. this is where I, on the second level, Jorge Pinos, who was the agent for Shakira, for Ricky Martin, for Eminem, that's where I first got my start singing for him. And then he got me the managers that I worked with. Unfortunately, at the time, this was the beginning of Napster. There was a lot of competition. The music industry was changing rapidly. And it got to the point where our marketing dollars and what what was was given to us cut cut in half mm. and my manager said well maybe we're going to have to start outside of the country and not start here at the United States maybe we'll start in Mexico and then move over to Central America South America then go to Europe and then come back to the states and as a kid unfortunately that was something my parents were not okay with they're you know we just don't feel comfortable with that and I, at the same time I didn't feel comfortable with that and so it just kind of, it just blew up pretty much after that. Got it. And what do you, what did your parents do for work? Or what do they do for so work? So my mom was a homemaker. Okay. Always stayed at home. My parents were immigrants to this country. So my dad started painting whatever. He was painting homes, painting homes. He was 24 years old. He ended up working for the Glendale Unified School District as an assistant to the electrical engineer. And you know, I came from very humble beginnings. So I pretty much came from... I. I I don't want to say nothing, but the most that they could do for me was just be as supportive as possible, which they have been throughout my entire life, and you know, which has meant the world to me. I'll tell you, most success stories like yourself start that way. Like that's the genesis of people finding and being rooted in where who they are, where they come from, and not taking anything for granted. You know, it, no. it's a, it's it's, a, it's been huge for me because. For them being, they didn't go to college. I was the first one to go to college. They helped me get into USC, not financially, but making sure that I was applying for those scholarships, for those grants. And what my parents could pay for were my books and my parking. And parking was very expensive at USC and so were books. And, you know, everything else I was lucky enough to, I wouldn't say a full ride, but 95% of my education was paid through the scholarships awesome. that I got. And why did you choose finance and accounting at SC? Originally, I wanted to go back into the music industry, but as an executive, my love for music still continues now. I still perform from time to time. It's, you know, it controls my mood when I feel sad. It makes me happy when I'm super happy or I want to, something amazing happens at the office or at home. It's music is just kind of, it's just, it's part of my soul. It's who I am. And so originally I, what I wanted to do was go to business school. USC had a business industry division, I would say from Marshall school of business. And so I wanted to make other people's dreams come true. 
Like that was the goal, but you know, the music industry just changed so rapidly. All I can hear from my professors were, was you'd be wasting your time. If you don't have a relative or someone that you can get into through the industry. And I was like, well, I know Jorge Pinos from William Morris and, you know, my managers who were working with Janet Jackson. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, those are old timers. Sorry if you guys are listening. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just not going to work anymore. You're going to have to do something different. And my dad and my mom said, you know, you've always been good with numbers. Maybe you can be an accountant. And so it was I wouldn't say their dream. I think it was a combination where I thought, oh, well, working at Deloitte would be great. And, you know, coming from seeing what my parents were making a year to what I was going to get paid first year out of college, I was, and I was like, wow, then maybe this is the way, you know, you get into Deloitte, you work up the, you know, you kind of work up that corporate ladder yeah, and, you know, one day I'll be at the top. And so that's how I decided to pursue the accounting role. And I was getting a hundred percent on all my exams. And my professors were taking me aside and saying, how did you get 100%? There's only two people in the class of 500 who got 100. How did you do it? And I was like, I don't know. It just clicks with me. And so I thought, well, this is it. This is my path. And, you know, I got accepted into the Lemethal School of Accounting, which I think less than 5% of the students from Marshall School of Business get accepted into that school. Most of that school, the students were international, a lot of Chinese students, students from India, And so it was just an amazing opportunity. And I thought, this is going to be my claim to fame in the business world. That's interesting. Well, accounting, I mean, that's obviously you have a gift in accounting because that doesn't come naturally to most people. You know, A, it's a foreign language and, you know, reconciling and doing all, it's a whole different, you know, mind trap. It's difficult. It just, it was one of those things where it just, at first, it was kind of like putting a puzzle together. And once you figured out how to do it, everything else just fell into play. Interesting. It was a mind switch. And it just, it switched. And I was like, this is it. This is my thing. Once you could see it, you could just... I, you, I you, saw it. Know, I'm like, this, like light, this is, yeah. yeah. Very cool. You know, I know a lot of USC grads who sell real estate. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years now. And it's... I need an introduction to those people. <laughs> and it's, it, it's interesting. But here's one thing they have in common. They all do very well. And it, it always leads me to wonder, like, does SC with you know, the tremendous networking sort of thing that they have going on. Does that give you, you think it, it helps like going into real estate, coming out of SC, just the, the, the networking advantage? Yeah, like absolutely. I think networking was the strongest. It, it's the biggest takeaway that I got from USC. You know, I started networking freshman year and that was something that was imposed to us by our professors first semester, how important the network was and how important it was for our career. And so I actually, when I switched from accounting into real estate, what I did was I went into the USC alumni directory, which we had, and I started at the A's and I started calling every single person. I would do that for four hours a day. And I would tell them, my name is Ivan Strada. I'm a recent, I'm a grad of Marshall School of Business, Leventhal School of Accounting. I'm not asking for any money. All I'm asking for is your help and support. And as soon as I would say that, oh, how can we help you? And and I would tell them, look, I just made a recent transition. I was in accounting for three years. I'm a, I'm a certified public accountant, and now I'm going into real estate, which has always been my passion. Do you know anyone who is looking to buy or sell in the next couple of months? And then I would just shut up. They would say yes or no. And if not, then I would put them on a newsletter. Half of the newsletter was real estate related, and the other half of the newsletter was USC related. 
what's going on with the football team, what's going on with new buildings, new programs. And so I, I made it where it just wasn't about real estate, but something that they would be interested in, yeah. especially the hardcore USC alums. And that was my opening door and my beginning to my first couple of sales at the beginning. So note to audience, I mean, that that's a marketing gem right there. I mean, the way that you creatively thought about, you know, networking and introducing yourself in a very non-solicitive manner. You had a connection, you have a something, uh, you have an alignment yeah, with your degree. Something in common. That something we in can, common. Yeah. So you just put yourself out there and, and see what comes back. And that's marketing right there. Boom. You know? Exactly. So are you, being an SC, are you a football fan? What do you think of Clay Helton's oh, renewal? Oh, you gotta, I got to ask you that. Just God, I, I think I, I zoned out <laughs> after we stopped. You know, there was a time when, when Matt Leinart was, and Reggie Bush were on the team. This was my first year in college. There was never a time we lost. So we never, we were winning everything every year. So we were just, we just got used to winning all the time. Yeah, the university is spoiled children. I mean, there's a reason for it. And it got to the point, I think we lost a game. I think it was in junior year. And I just remember walking back from the stadium and everyone was, their heads were down. Everybody, I've never seen such a quiet walk from the stadium back to the campus. I loved going to the games. It was always so much fun. You know, you would see a bunch of friends and we would you know, be at the tailgate. We drink a little, we eat a little. And it was always just an amazing experience. I think after my second or third, well, when you work in accounting, you have no life. So <laughs> you work 80 hour weeks. I was an audit and tax. But when you're working 80 hour weeks and you're out of the state most of the time, you have no life. So I stopped going to the games. I stopped, you know, I kind of lost track with a lot of my friends from SC so it was pretty tough. So after that, then, you know, my priorities changed. So yeah. let's put it that way. So being in Leventhal and studying and getting these, you know, these 100%, did you find time to get in any any kind of trouble while you were at SC? No, 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 no there was, was no all, time to do anything. It was all books. And no, like it was studies. all books. I remember walking by the cafeteria with colleagues of mine and saying, and they were just sitting and eating food. And I would say, how do they have time to sit and eat food? I remember like, and this is a, a problem that I, not a problem, but something, you know, I, I liked when I eat my food, I eat it super quick. Cause I had to always eat it from class to class and I was double majoring. So I had the finance and the accounting. And so I was pretty much waking up at four thirty-five in the morning and going to sleep at eight, nine at night and waking up in the morning doing all over again. And all Saturday was just prep prep, 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 because we would have a midterm, a final, and a group project, and that's what our grade was based on. And it was on a curve as well. So being on a curve, a very high curve, is very difficult. So I, I, I think I lost track of what was going on in the world, what was going on, on TV. I forgot I had a dog. I didn't have a relationship. I mean, it was... You were all consumed. It, by it was, I was super consumed. Yeah. But I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm so grateful. It, it taught me a lot of things. I mean, in real estate, I mean, you you get what you put into it. And I do work a lot. When I go back and think of those memories in public accounting and at USC, it's, I have a life now. This is great. For me, this is vacation. <laughs> so you began your career in real estate in 2007. Where, where did you get your start? Like, where, what was your first your job or experience? Yeah. So I started, I really wanted to work at Deloitte. It was always about Deloitte, Deloitte, Deloitte. Didn't get Deloitte. And then I worked for a company called McLandry, and they were like a mid-tier firm, still a pretty good firm. They were international. And so I started at the office in Pasadena, 
I worked there for a couple, two years, then moved to downtown. We had a downtown office. And at the beginning, I was in the mindset of, look, I'm going to work really hard at this. I'm going to be great. I know how to network. Like most of my colleagues were very introverted individuals, and I was not. And I thought, you know, this is going to be, it's it's a great skill to have because I love networking, which I still continued at that point, even after I got my job. Because I thought, you know, the importance of it, especially for relationship building and future clients for the firm, I thought, you know, why not set that standard now and, and build those relationships now that I'm young. So when I do become a partner, I can just say, hey, would you like to, you know, be a client? Would you like to be a tax client, an audit client? And I think after year two, I mean, I was working 80 hour weeks. It just got, I wouldn't say unbearable, but I started realizing that, you know, I got to that point of what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but is this what life is? Like I had no passion for it. I remember every day that I would wake up, I'd hit the ground and just think like, damn, like this is my life. Like this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not doing anything that I like. I have no time to do anything. And I just kept thinking like, okay, well, if, if I can start a business, like, but what, what business would I start? And, you know, maybe I should invent something or maybe I should go back to school and do something different. Maybe I should go to law school. Maybe that's where I need to go. And so it was very difficult to come to the conclusion that this wasn't for me because I realized going through school was a family thing. You know, when I graduated, I could see the look on my mom and dad's face and my sister, how happy they were that I had graduated from USC, Marshall School of Business, Leventhal School of Accounting. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to break their heart if I leave this and start all over, it was like, it was all for nothing. And so it was, it was very difficult for me to really grasp myself and really go inward and think, okay, what's next? And I have to forget for once what my mom thinks, what my dad thinks, and what my sister thinks and do what I feel is best for me. And real estate, for some reason, it just always called to me, always called to me. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And I went to Cobalt Banker on Sunset, knocked on their door. They didn't want to see me. I didn't have a license. And I sat down with the manager, um, Fran Hughes, who is still working today as a manager at Compass. She was, I think, one of the key people in my career at the beginning who really helped me along the way. It was tough. This was a, this was a recession. I thought, you know, I'm a USC grad. I'm good with networking. I'm good with people. I'm good with marketing. It's going to be a piece of cake. Mm-mm. It was not a piece of cake for Did at least two to three years. she try to dissuade you from joining? Like, hey, don't do it. It's too tough. But- well, at the beginning, she said, go get your license. And and I was in, the, I had already gotten the books. I hadn't started. And she was like, I can't talk to you until you get your license. And I, I presented her, a, uh, I had a list of books that I read. I think it was 25, maybe 35. I have them all still in my office at home. And I said, these are all the books I've read already. This is what I want to do. This is, I had a business plan. I was like, this is my business plan. This is my marketing plan. And that day she's like, you're hired. She's like, there's your desk. It was, bro- it was a Tuesday. Go on brokers open. Obviously you can't sell anything yet, but if you do, here are your mentors. And I started on the spot. So you were a total anomaly. Like no one, nobody. No, no. She told me that. to leave. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, no, you're wasting my time. Nobody comes in. Yeah. More prepared than. Yeah, I, I, awesome. I, I knew what I wanted, and that's what I wanted to do. That is awesome. So tell me about your very first sale. So my very first sale, 
was in Whittier. I didn't know where Whittier was. Actually, it was my best friend. She went to UCLA. It was actually one of her relatives. And this was the first week of, of me being in the business. And she said, look, my aunt is looking to buy a house. Her budget's 300000 I mean, you know, this was 10 years ago, but it was 300000 and it's in Whittier. I'm like, where? Where's Whittier? <laughs> and I remember driving out like an hour and 15 minutes out of the Hollywood. My office was in the Hollywood Hills. We looked at one house. And that's the house we put in the offer in. And I remember being so excited. It was my first week. I remember Fran, the manager, she said, look, this guy came into my office last week, didn't want to hire him. He doesn't even have his license yet. And he already has one in escrow. And this is at the time when just, you know, the world was falling apart. There's REOs, short sales everywhere. And, you know, my best friend, Candace, gave me my start. And that, I think for me, was important because I was able to really gain confidence fairly quickly in the game because in my mind I thought I'm not a salesperson. I don't I've never done sales. I've I've been in the business of providing people with, you know, being a fiduciary and providing people with information and helping them make their best decision on the tax side or on the audit side and you know for me to sell something it was it kind of felt like it just wasn't built in my DNA. And to be honest, now that I look back I was selling pogs. I don't if people remember what pogs were. I was selling pogs in elementary school at six years old. I was selling candy that my parents would buy at Costco at seven years old. I was having yard sales with my mom's stuff when she wasn't home <laughs> at 10 years old. And then I think at five or six, I was selling, having my sister draw portraits and I would go door to door in our neighborhood selling these portraits, like little pictures for like $2 and telling everyone that our parents didn't have money for to send us to college and this was going to go for our college fund. So that's what my mom said. She's like, you're not a salesperson. Remember that one time when you were five? Remember that one time when you were six? Remember that one time? And then I was like, oh yeah, you were born. I am a salesperson. <laughs> that's a great story. You are totally a salesperson. Oh yeah. So going back, Ivan, so you mentioned when you met with Fran, you had a business plan, you read all these books. So first of all, give us what book, what were some of those books? I think the first one was Millionaire. This is a Keller Williams book, Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Okay. That was such a good book. Gary that, Keller? Gary Keller. I was at Keller Williams after Coldwell Banker and before Douglas Solomon. Great company, great business model. That book really, it helped me get out of the mindset of you're not just a real estate agent, you're an entrepreneur and a business owner. So you need to run this like a business. So that for me was a really important book to read because it, you know, when you think of being a real estate agent, especially with someone as an outsider, it's open house signs, cookies, door knocking, flyers. And, you know, a lot of my mom's friends were, were real estate agents growing up. You know, there were moms and real estate agents on the side. So to kind of take that spin and really build a business and have, you know, a yearly business plan, getting an assistant, putting a manual together for your business, having the marketing plan and having everything, putting, I think, putting in systems into place, which was, I think, the biggest takeaway from me from that book so that I can have a life, so that I can go on vacation. And if I have a team, they can continue to, run the office while I'm on vacation. So you so you mapped all this out before you even started? So do you, you had like a literal a, a mini business plan? Oh, yeah. So what was some of the like, did you have a like, okay, here's my marketing plan. I'm going to target this niche or this right. geography. Or did you have all that? Layout? All of that. So every Mondays I would door knock 
every Tuesdays. So social media at that point, we didn't have Instagram, but we had Facebook. And that's when I started my YouTube show called The Real Estate Minute, which was me with a propped up camera and really bad editing skills on Apple. And I would put it up on Facebook and have people comment and write. On Wednesdays, I would create my newsletter. I mean, I had to do everything. So Mondays was door knocking. Tuesdays was putting these videos together. And then the, the and then every day, Monday through Friday, for those four, four to five hours, I would go through that USC alumni directory. I would just hit it hard, hit it hard, hit it hard. I would go online to Eventbrite and figure out, okay, there has to be some type of events around town. What events can I go through throughout the week? The newsletters, what is the content that we're going to put in the newsletters? I had mailers. You know, if I had some free time, it was back to the USC alumni directory or back to door knocking my farm. And now that we have so much social media, we have YouTube and YouTube at the moment was not a big thing. Instagram was not around. Snapchat was, you know, now we have Snapchat and TikTok and all this. I had to do something within a budget because at that time I, I really didn't have much to work from other than the reserves that I had from my savings from accounting. That was it. That's great. So you created your own sort of content machine and just started doing it with a plan. That, that's that's incredible. And how much business did you end up doing your first year? I think my first year I closed 11 homes. Wow. And this was on an average when the office was just, I mean, I think this was at the prime of the recession when everyone was just kind of like the world is burning down. And I think the average in the office was about like five or six deals. I mean, you had your producers who were selling still 25, 30. And then at that point was when the REO account started and we had people selling 100 homes, 150 a year. But for me, it was a huge accomplishment, you know, not from not being in the business, especially for me, my mindset was like, well, I grew up in Eagle Rock. You know, this is Hollywood Hills, Beverly Hills. Is that where the sales were too? A lot of them were in West Hollywood. One was in Hollywood Hills. One was in Westwood. One was in Santa Monica. What was the mix? Sorry to cut you off. Like, was yeah, it, no, the mix. So, like, buy, like, were they mostly buyers? Mostly buyers. Mostly buyers. Which is I had typical. one. Yeah, I had one listing in West Hollywood, which is a one-bedroom condo for like, I think it was like three ninety-nine or four ninety-nine. But it was mostly buyers. I mean, I was hitting those open houses, which oh, is typical for yeah, first first year of the gate. I mean, getting listings is. Very difficult. It's tough and it's a little, it was daunting because it it was, well, okay, I have to put my listing presentation together, which I can do. But for me, it was, well, I don't really have any sales. Like I don't really have a track record. It's not, you know, I don't have awards and I don't have, you know, the stuff that I've been very fortunate to have now after 10 years. Like I didn't have like that agent book that I, the wow book that I can wow the sellers with. And so, and also the confidence level, you know, it's, it's the confidence. I think for me throughout the years, it's, you know, it's constantly increasing. But at that time when you're, you know, I was 25 in my head, it was, I was thinking I was the youngest person in the office. Who's going to want to work with me? I look, I'm 25, but I look like I'm 19 because I'm Latin and, you know, we're good with, you know, we don't crack really. It takes a long time. (laughs) So I look like a 19 year old kid with braces. And so I thought, who's going to want to work with me? You know, who's going to want to work with a kid? But, you know, I was hitting those open houses. I did two to three open houses a week for three or four years. Holidays. I did it. I didn't, you know, that so was, you were, you were just all in. So I was okay, all in. So first year, 11 homes, which is incredible. Almost one a month. 
Second year, what'd you do? Do you remember? I think I think I did sixteen or seventeen the next year, but then also my price point went up. So that yeah, I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah, price point went up. So you okay? So you started then. When did you get a couple more listings the second year? Second year, I think five. Okay, five wow. listings. Yeah. All right. So then you started to see. Okay, this is how the game's changing. Yeah, I started I getting that to, confidence, yeah, and, yeah. and I said, you know, okay, I know I can get the listings, but the problem is I'm not confident enough to go on there on my own. And so I thought, you know, there's these Tom and Randy Isaacs, they're actually in this office. They were my mentors when I started at Cobalt Banker. I would take them with me. I said, you know, I'd rather get 50% of something than nothing. And so I would take them with me on the listing appointments. And that really helped me learn what I felt worked for them and what would work for me. And that started kind of helping me formulate, like helping, I guess, find my my style of how I wanted to be a listing agent. Cause everybody has a different style. Nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. It's just what works for you. And I started figuring out what I, even the listing agent, how I wanted to present myself. So it's great. And so note to audience again, that's marketing gem. Number two, uh, Ivan's given you the playbook on how to, how to be successful in real estate here. So 50% of something is better than hundred percent of nothing. Exactly. And you gain so much knowledge, not only the transaction, but the, you gain all that knowledge by partnering with people early on with people that have been doing it a lot longer. And it, it, it totally expedites your confidence, your knowledge. I've sold insurance, Ivan, as a 22 year old. Oh, wow. Selling life insurance. How's that? How does a 22 year old exactly. sell life insurance? Exactly. How do I, I use the same mark that, that was, I figured that early on. Like, hey, if I, I'm good at getting appointments, I'm terrified of showing up to them. Right. I'm going to bring. The heaviest guy in the office, like the heaviest, the guy who's, who's making I, $5 million a year. I still do that now. And there's certain neighborhoods that I'm not, that I haven't sold many homes in that area. And for me, it's, you know, I'll take, if someone's really great at the Palisades, I know who to take to the Palisades. If it's at a certain price point, you know, as I've been going in my career now at 10 years, you know, I keep putting up my price points and the way that I've been able to do that, I started partnering up with people, not only in my office, because I've gotten to know a lot of amazing agents, not just at Element, but you know, at Compass and at Keller and at Cobalt Banker and Hilton and Highland in the agency. And I thought, okay, who can I work with? I want to assure myself 90% that we can get this listing. I need to find an agent that I feel is going to be a good partner with, with me, someone who knows the area, someone who has sold a ton of homes in that price point. And knowing what my the seller's personality is and matching those personalities, uh, maybe if they have something in common, maybe if they went to the same school. I mean, it's all about doing your research. So Go you're still Google. you're still doing that today. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you you think that's a trend? I, I'm seeing that more, especially with these you know let's call them mega listings. Mm-hmm. That I think sellers are realizing their strength in numbers and sort of cross brokerages, right? Like getting a Douglas partner with an agency and Compass and like. Because you bring in all those networks. It's kind of like the SC network effect. Right. All those brokerages have their whole sort of insular network that you can tap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we all have our database. I mean, Element, you know, we work with Knight Frank, who's our international affiliate. They have a certain database. Element has a certain database. Hilton and Highland has a certain database. And if we can combine those databases to find a buyer yeah. as soon as possible oh. using all these resources, you know, it's, it's a no brainer for the seller. So let's fast forward. So 11 homes to uh 16 homes Mm -hmm. and then let's go what was your best year in your 10 years in terms of like not necessarily homes but more like i I always look at my metric is volume volume like like is it like like gross like like 80 million yeah so last year we i did 42 and this was on my own 
the year before that it was 60. I think the reason for that was, I wouldn't say I got a little cocky. I would say I was selling a lot of those one to $2 million homes to three. Those were, you know, there's a lot more buyers for those. And I told my business coach, well, I just want to do higher end. I just want to do higher end. And he's like, okay, well, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. This is the networks that I need you to do. And, you know, I'm part of different, I'm a I'm Soho house. Like I'm in different, you know, I guess communities with the, you know, playing golf. And I started getting those listings, the three, the four, the five, the six. And then all of a sudden last year, those, unfortunately we had this kind of switch in the market where those were the homes that were unfortunately just sitting there and the stuff that I was good at. And then I can just do just the bread and butter, the 2 million, the 1 million, you know, doing a ton of volume. I forgot about those clients of mine. I forgot about those people. You know, I made, this is, you know, obviously I, I, I made a mistake. You know, I think my head, I don't want to say my head got big, but I just, I, I, I wanted to reroute my, my path and where I was going. And I, I forgot what were the buyers and sellers that got me to where I was. And so now we had to reformat all of that and say, okay, you know, we have three in escrow right now. One's a 2 million, one's a 1 million, then one's an 8 million, you know? And so those, those at the end of the year will help me rebound, you know, that to get that number back up there. I also just hired another agent who's also a USC alum, MBA, CPA, licensed in New York, licensed in LA. I want to really build a solid team of these type of individuals that, you know, our clients, especially in the higher end, they're going to say, you know, we trust these guys. This is a team you should hire. And so, you know, I made a mistake. I learned from it and I'm glad it happened because it now kind of changed the direction of how I want to do business, how I, who I need to market to. And just, and I think the biggest thing is like, don't forget where you came from. Those are your fans. Those are the people that got you where you were. And I unfortunately said, no, I can't take you right now. Cause I'm, I'm too busy. As they say, stay in your lane, right? Yeah, stay in your lane. Ivan, you've been recognized as a top real estate influencer, top 30 under 30 in the, in the nation. You've appeared on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing, among other shows in the space, a featured speaker on podcasts and industry panels, and have created an impressive network for your brand. Congratulations on all your hard-earned success. Thank you. So what do you think of the Cliff Notes? I know we covered some stuff, but like, give us the Cliff Notes version of how you were able to accomplish this in, in a relatively short amount of time. I would say video. Video really built... It helped me build my brand quickly. I got into the game fairly when no one was in the game. I remember watching Million Dollar Listing season one. This is ten over ten years ago, and I thought, well, I'm not selling any multi million dollar homes anytime soon. So, what if I put on my own TV show and I'll create it or like a an inform, you know something informative where I can provide value to people and, and viewers? But I don't want it to just be this is how many homes are on the market. This is the inventory. Like I need to make it fun. Let's talk about design and lifestyle and new restaurants or the future of transportation, in the city or the kitchen of the future, the bathroom of the future. Like let's make it fun. And so that's when I, you know, I got a, a small Canon camera. I had a little mic, my tripod, and I would just, I would start filming my show every month from different locations. I would do it in Beverly Hills. I'd go to Santa Monica, do it in downtown. And you know, it started getting viewership. I would put it on YouTube. I would put it on Facebook. 
There was no Instagram at the time. I'd attach it to my newsletter. And, you know, I think people really took notice to that because no one else was doing it. The only agent who was doing it in town was Christoph Chu with Cole Banker, who's a, a, a good friend. And, you know, he had a certain style of doing it. And it was great. And I saw that he had a lot of views, a lot of comments. It was something very different. I think at that time, even doing videos for your listing wasn't even a thing yet. It was all just photography and that was it. And so that's when I just got the idea and I started filming it and I started doing it monthly and then I started doing it weekly and I just made it a routine. I made it every single week. I have to post something on social media that's video related. And one throughout, you know, the last 10 years, it's built my SEO dramatically. My brand recognition, people would say, I know, you know, I already had my logo at the time and people were recognizing it. Friends of mine were watching, you know, and they were just saying, wow, it's so great. And, you know, when definitely when I buy a house, I'm going to use you because, you know, it kind of gave them the sense of he's our neighborhood expert. He's the only one who's doing this. And it was free. You know, I was filming it myself, editing it myself through iMovie on my Apple computer and posting it. It cost me nothing. And, you know, fast forward 10 years now, there's a crew, they're very, you know, H4K, HD, there's an editor, there's a sound person, but it took a while to get there. And I think the key for people, you know, obviously video is very important, especially, you know, as we move on through 2020, was just the consistency. I never stopped doing it. For two, three years, I had 200 viewers, 300 viewers, 200 viewers, 500 viewers. And then all of a sudden, then it was 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000. And, you know, it just, it took time for it to take off. But I liked it. It was fun. It set me apart from everyone else. And it was building my brand for me for free. That's great. And and the key to marketing, and you're hitting on it, like, you know, make it a routine, make it habitual, and keep doing it. You got, it's it's all about frequency, right? Frequency creates the routine. The routine creates frequency. And then the frequency creates the reach and the mind share. Right. It positions your brand as X, Y, Z because you keep doing it and you keep doing it. And, you, and you're, you're basically educating the market. This is who you are and what you stand for and what you do. And the market already knows you before they know you. Yeah. It, I was at, I think, a drugstore in West Hollywood. And they were like, you're the guy from the videos. And just the other day, I was at Nordstrom's here in Century City. And the cashier was... He was, because we do a lot of advertising now. Now we push in a lot of marketing dollars through Instagram, Instagram stories, YouTube, Facebook. And my cashier was like, are you Ivan Estrada? He could barely speak English. He's like, are you Ivan Estrada? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I see your videos. I watch them. You're like a celebrity. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. And it's like, you know, it, it, this is a guy that I probably, 19 years old, who's probably not even in my demographic of who's going to be buying anytime soon. Not anytime soon, but, you know, I'm building that demographic. So hopefully by the time he's 24 or 25 and, you know, then he's going to become a client of ours. I love marketing. I'm a student of marketing. I, I read a lot. I'm like obsessed with, you know, how brand building and how people, why people choose to to do business and how, how this, this whole, this is my accounting. This is yeah. my sort of thing. Everyone overthinks it, you know, and everyone's chasing different things. I write about this in, in the magazine all the time, but like, but you're you're basically reinforcing, you know, the brand and building the mind share is the most important thing because mind share ultimately leads to market share. Exactly. You know, and everyone's yeah. chasing it, but you're building it, you're building momentum along the way. 
So the market starts to, at some point, it tips and it comes to you yeah. versus you chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. It starts to tip and come to you. Your cash register goes, are you Ivan? Yeah, yeah, right? it's crazy. But it's something that I, it wasn't like I planned, like I'm going to take over social sure. media. It was nothing. It's the I result. Just, I enjoyed doing it. It was fun for me. I knew that it was going to have some type of benefit, but it wasn't like I had set out to do this. Like yeah. to, I want it to be big and I want people to like comment on it and people to recognize me in my own community. It wasn't, you know, I never, my mind never went there. It was just, this is something I enjoy doing. And it's something that I think is going to be valuable for people to watch. Whoever watches, you know, all 10,000 or five people, whoever it might be. And the other, I think the important thing is you went all in on one channel right? Because that's where you can get, you can scale. Like if you're trying to be that person on Facebook and Instagram and da, 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 like if you're trying to be that everywhere, you're nothing, nowhere. You know Especially what I mean? Especially now. I mean, they're, they've changed so much. I mean, we constantly have to, I constantly, I'm constantly doing research about on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram because their algorithms are constantly changing. And, you know, every year I start noticing, okay, our viewership is going down. Why? The content's still good content. People are still commenting on it. Okay, we're going to have to change a couple things. And it's constantly changing, so I have to change with it. But like you said, you know, we do post it on all those platforms, but there's those platforms that I can see the return on investment. And for me, it's Instagram is number one, Facebook is number two, and then YouTube comes number three. But, you know, Instagram, I, I have people watching my stories, which I post on the daily from homes that I'm listing. It's very lifestyle. It's me at the gym, getting ready. You know, I wake up super early, 4.30 in the morning. It's me working out, me with clients, me putting presentations together, me speaking. And I've gotten so many clients from that just because people have gotten to know me mm -hmm. through that. They, they know who I am, not just Ivan, the real estate agent, but Ivan, the person. Yeah. And I think when they hire me, they hire Ivan the person. They obviously know that I'm capable, but, you know, I connected with them in some sort of way. With all the success you've had in real estate, what are you, what are you most proud of? I think the most proud has been the effect of the real estate and me doing something that I love is just how happy I am. I'm extremely happy. Like sometimes I've, I can't believe that this is my life. You know, the life that I've created from you know, living in a one bedroom apartment with my mom and dad and sister in Glendale. To me, it's just the effect of just happiness. That's the thing that I'm proud of, that I'm just, that I've been doing something that I'm so passionate about in 10 years. And I still wake up every single day and it feels like day one. What else can I do? I have two business coaches, um, Aaron Keith, and you know, I listen to Tom Ferry every morning. And I'm always wanting to, how can I do better? How can I change things up for clients where it's going to be easier? How can I implement more marketing and more quality and how, you know, we need to do more videos and I'm constantly just, my mind is constantly spinning. And after 10 years of being in this business and I feel super grateful that I, you know, have found something that I'm truly passionate about. And I think that's the biggest success and the biggest thing that I'm grateful for and happy for in my business. Let's talk about the hyper-competitive world of luxury real estate here in LA. This market is super competitive, heavy concentration of top performers, reality TV shows, entertainment industry, you name it. How do you, and we talked about your specific strategies, but how do you continue to, to differentiate? Because, you know, the channels are out there, Instagram, like everyone's doing Instagram, everyone's doing Facebook, everyone's creating videos, everyone's doing marketing, everyone like... 
and especially here because it's a very sophisticated market, right? Right. How do you continue to to differentiate and elevate in in that environment? Well, there's different strategies that I've taken into place. I think the first strategy, which has always helped me with my career, which helped me from the beginning and, and still with it now is, you know, having that CPA license and the people that I go after to build relationships with, which are other CPAs. That's my, you know, CPA to CPA. I actually have a, a, a newsletter that's called CPA to CPA, and it goes out to 10,000 CPAs in California. So if they're not in LA, then they're in, you know, San Diego, San Francisco, Boom, referral fee right there. So we have our CPAs or business managers, which a lot of them control a lot of wealth in this part of town. A lot of them are CPAs as well, our financial advisors, real estate attorneys, divorce attorneys, trust and estate attorneys, trust officers, life insurance folks. Having that CPA has really helped me. They see me as a partner to them, not just a real estate agent. And so, you know, there's a ton of things that I can do on social media and there's a ton of things that I can, you know, put myself, I do, I've done stuff on NBC, on Bravo, on E, and that's all great. That's all great marketing. But for me, having the trust and these partnerships with my affiliates, I think is the strongest thing for my now and for my future. A lot of these, you know, CPAs, attorneys that I work with, we're all the same age. We're all in our thirties. I'm 35. And, you know, we're all going to be growing together. And so as much as I want to be Sally Foster Jones, who I love and appreciate so much, she's a mega machine. She is amazing. She's been in the business for a long time. I have so much trust and respect for her. And we were just on a panel um, a couple months ago on The Real Deal. She's a megastar, you know, and sometimes... I want to just jump and I just want to be Sally Foster Jones or Aaron Kerman or the Altman brothers. And I forget, you know, they've all been in this business for a long time. They've been building relationships for a long time. So you just kind of keep doing what you're doing, stay in your lane, do what you're good at, be good to your clients, take care of your clients, take care of, you know, these professionals who, you know, my CPAs and my attorneys, I throw a huge party for them every single year. I go very lavish. We have ice sculptures. We have fire breathers. I mean, we we go all out to really take care of the people who take care of us. And so for me, that's how I differentiate myself. I'm their financial, you know, their real estate advisor, not just a real estate agent. You know, in marketing, and I love this. And sorry, I keep coming back to marketing, but this is I'm I'm listening to you, and and all this sort of the marketing sensibilities are coming through, and. What you just described, it's about, you know, another, what I think is a huge success factor for, for marketing and brands is being authentic, you know, know who you are and be who you are. Don't be someone else because someone else is enjoying success as this or that. You're a CPA. You figured out the code for accounting. You have that gift. You know what I mean? So like you reflecting that gift back to the world with CPAs, it comes back to you. Yeah. You're being authentic. You know what I mean? So it's that transparency is powerful in branding and, and, and marketing yeah. because you, it's an, it's sort of a niche within a niche. It's a lane within a lane. Exactly. And I don't try to copy anybody else. Like I, my biggest competitor is me. How can I be better next year? How can I be better next month? I don't, I don't want to spend energy and time on trying to figure out how I can be better than this agent or better than that agent or out market this agent because at the end of the day, if that's what I'm going to be doing and chasing, I'm going to lose and I'm going to lose myself and who I am. Yeah. 
All right, enough about real estate, Ivan. Come on, let's have some fun. Let's. This All is right, bored. Let's, let's get, get down out of, to the let, down and dirty. Yeah, let's get out of the, the the. I know you think accounting is a fun, but oh, fun. But let's 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 get out of real estate for a second. Finish this sentence for me. If I wasn't in real estate, I would love to go back to the music industry as a performer. Nice. If you could invite three people to your dream dinner party, who would be there and what would you serve? Elon Musk, huge fan. Jennifer Lopez, because it's Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo. And do they have to be alive or could they be dead? No, they can be dead. Albert Einstein. I'm a huge fan of science. And Albert Einstein was always, I had him on my wall as a kid. Because he was always like the, the weird kid. But he did so much for the world, and he was such an amazing human being. So it would be Albert Einstein, Jennifer Lopez, and Elon Musk. What a mix. I want to be at that <laughs> party. Random that mix, dinner. Yeah. Albert Einstein, by the way, yeah, he's even as renowned and recognized, he's still not, I don't think, as people give him enough credit for like. I don't think so either. His mind was just like. He was, I feel like maybe he was an alien. Yeah. Who knows? No, no really. He, yeah. he's, he's like, for what he did and how he did it. That'll be our next podcast. We'll Perfect. talk. We'll deep dive out. I'm ready. A guilty luxury pleasure that's worth every penny. I like getting massages every week. It resets me. Yeah. I love, I do work out a lot. And just having that hour of relaxation and spa time and just me time, which is very important. That's, I can't do without that. Favorite artist or band? God, it's so many different people. It's hard to ask a musician it's, that question. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing because it just depends on my mood. Like sometimes I like electronic music, sometimes I like R and B music, sometimes I like pop music. I'm gonna go back to what I was raised with and what was a huge inspiration for me growing up, and it was Stevie Wonder. Good stuff. Where do you live? I live in Century City. Describe your home. It's very modern, but very warm. It's very me. It looks, every time anybody comes to my home, they don't think anybody lives there because it looks staged. But it's my safe zone. It's where I go in and just kind of disconnect. And it's very peaceful. To me, my home, I want it to be comfortable, peaceful, inviting. And also, I, I'm a, I love modern, contemporary modern, and it's very modern. And do you travel a lot? I travel a lot. Where do you like to go? So last year I went to Egypt for a week. I went to Dubai. I went to Sydney. I went to Cancun. I went to Mexico City. I went to Vancouver. And then locally or nearby was New York, Miami, Chicago, Dallas. I do travel a lot for, I do a lot of public speaking, as, as you had mentioned before. I do a lot of panels. I do a lot of courses where I teach people how to use video branding effectively. And some of the other international travel was through Douglas Elliman Knight Frank. So I go to their offices like New York, Miami, Dubai, Sydney, and I always go out, give a presentation, meet the agents. And so it's a mixture of travel, fun, and, and work. And a little business. Yeah. yeah. And, and a write-off. What's your favorite city in LA? I love the beach. So I would have to say Santa Monica. Tell us a funny, can't believe it happened to me, real estate story. Okay, I'm going to tell you something that actually happened to me yesterday. <laughs> I don't feel, pr I, I'm not proud about this, but it is what it is. So I just sold a client's home, which I'm not going to mention where it is and who he is, she is. But they're doing a huge remodel. They didn't pay their light bill. And so I really needed to go to the bathroom. 
And so I went into the bathroom. I shouldn't, shouldn't even be saying this, but I'm going to say it. And there was two toilets in there. And I just had a flashlight. And so I just, you know, did number one in one of the toilets and then realized that that was the toilet that they were going to replace with the old toilet. So it wasn't connected to anything. Oh. So I had to clean it up. <laughs> so tell us how that was. No. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Yeah. So you were bailing water for a bit. I just thought, I was like, I didn't even realize there was two toilets and I just really needed to go. And until I walked out, I was like, wait, there's another toilet in there. And I shouldn't have even said that, but hey. I love it. So back to real estate, let's get your industry insights. How's the market been this year? And, and like last year, do you think it was better than or worse or in between? And then how's it coming into this year? I think this year is going to be amazing. I definitely feel there's a different energy now than there Optimism. was in 2019. I think people in 2019 were a little unsure of a lot of things. I think we were unsure of a lot of things. You know, that market of, you know, over two and a half, three million for single family homes to like eight, nine, 10, it was staling out. There was nothing, I was reducing prices under market. You know, we weren't getting those multiple offers anymore. A lot of uncertainty in the air, but as of December, I started getting all those clients who were thinking of waiting and maybe right now is not the good time. Or, you know, especially a lot of my clients who were thinking about ten, doing 1031 exchanges and they were, no, maybe not this year, maybe in 2020. Last two weeks of December, the fl- the call started flooding in. You know, I I still think we're going to have an issue with inventory. I think we've had that issue for a long time yeah. because I think we're very buyer heavy right now, which is okay because a lot of them are buyers who they you know want to buy, they need to buy. They're either moving up because they you know just had a baby, or they're relocating, or you know there was a divorce, and then you know one asset now we have to sell that ass and get two other ones. So it's definitely, I, I feel like this year is going to be a good year, you know, even though it's an election year, which is always, you know, I've always heard as an election year, you know, things are a little uncertain and people kind of take a step back a little bit, especially for making big purchases. Sure. But I don't feel that yet. Yeah. And the market, stock market's obviously still rocking. It's strong. It's interest stronger rate, than it's ever been. Inter- I think, in interest rates are low. Yeah. So there's a lot of good sort of things still happening. We talk about the real estate cycle all the time, you know, like, oh, all the, you know, technical indicators, right? Every 10, seven to 10 years, real estate, you know, cycles down and, you know, we're, we're at 10 years right now. It's a completely Um, new cycle. It's a new, yeah. So we're sort of rewriting the rules a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very interesting next 18 months, once we get past the election to kind of see what, where this goes. But so it's still a seller's market. There's still plenty of pent up demand, obviously flowing in. Optimism's good, so people are ready to, to... You know, people are right. If it's good inventory, priced well, marketed well, I think there shouldn't be an issue. What do you think is the hottest neighborhood in LA right now? I think the hottest neighborhood... People are, like, looking for those up-and-coming homes because I feel that, you know, millennials want to buy homes, but the biggest issue is they can't afford it. You know, you have people that are lawyers, doctors that make a great income, and, you know... For them to get into that, you know, single family home arena, which around here for 1.6, 1.7, you get a teardown and, you know, you have to have 20% down. And so I think a lot of the up and coming areas, I think Culver City, I still see it as an up and coming area. I see a lot of value there. There's areas of, and this is for like new, sure, the, sure. the new home buyers, the Mar Vista area, I still think is a great area. You know, there was areas that, 
like Eagle Rock that people were thinking about Highland Park. I mean, those areas kind of were gentrified and there's amazing value out there. And that's where I think the value is. I think on the West side, you know, Culver City, Mar Vista area, there's still a lot of opportunity there for first time home buyers. And on the East side, you know, areas like Eagle Rock and Highland Park. So let's get your closing thoughts, Ivan. What are two pieces of advice you would give your younger self? I think the biggest piece of advice would be like, don't stress out. It's all going to be okay. I think that's, I think I hear that from a lot of people, but it's true. Like I just would stress out all the time. And when you stress, it paralyzes you. And then you don't, you know, you don't know up from down and left from right. And I meditate a lot now. I think I mentioned that before. It's been three and a half years. That has been my godsend savior. I feel like I'm floating most of the time. I feel at peace. I feel great. And everything's going to be okay. You know, we're it's just... Stick to the plan, have a plan, and, you know, just take action. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I'd like to fly. (laughs) I like heights. I love planes. I think if I could do it on my own without getting on a plane, I think that'd be great. We asked this question, and you're not the first to say that. So flying isn't on everyone's sort of superpower wish list, I I feel like it's coming. If Elon Musk lives to be like 80 years old, I'm sure we're going to be able to fly. Yeah, absolutely. What could you tell the audience that they'd be shocked or surprised to to know about you? I think that people are shocked when I tell them that I'm a CPA because they're like, what? What do you mean you're a CPA? Like you're, you like to talk to people and you know, you're not boring and no, not if any CPAs are listening, you're not boring. It's just saying stuff. Uh, But yeah, it's just, I think when people realize that I'm a CPA or when I tell them, they're like, no way. Like you're not, I think that would be probably the most surprising thing that people would think about me because i'm not yeah that's it good deal well thank you ivan estrada for sharing your story with us and continued success to you and your growing team and i'm looking forward to you breaking the the 100 million oh, mark yeah, here real million. soon 2020 we have to have 100 we will reconnect and do this again soon sounds good Congrats. thank you so much for having me you got it And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.